The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from rainy Burbank, California, this is the three things of the Knapsack Files podcast feed. Welcome back. It's just me. Welcome back. Slow start to the broadcast year as I'm finishing up a big project. So all those fancy, cool guests that are coming, well, they're still on the way. But you have me here, three things. There's three things on my mind this week, and I want to get right to it. I want to get right to it. Three things on my mind. One I read, one I watched, and one that, well, just made me think of something I have read and watched. That's the concept of the show. If you're new, welcome. Welcome to the Knapsack Files. Knapsackfiles.podomatic.net if you want more information. tpublic.com slash user slash Ken Knapsack. I'm in the market for some new shirts for the Knapsack Files. We've got some afternoon shirts on there. Trying to figure it all, all out. Uh, if you have an idea for a Knapsack Files shirt, well, reach out. Let me know. Let me know. Get the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash the Knapsack Files as well. Get the weekly show five extra minutes if you're on there, tier two or higher. All right. The third thing on my mind this week is going back a ways, going back to my past, something I read, but it made me think about it again, something I experienced in life, I should say, and that is, we're just going to start here, the total perspective vortex, huh, question mark, some of you, some of you I'm sure you have that right away, all right, the total perspective vortex is from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Universe. Uh, From the radio play, definitely the novel. Didn't make it into the 2005 movie. Underrated movie in my books. We've talked about that before. The Total Perspective Vortex is, well, it was a machine built with, and I'm reading from the the wiki here, so if it sounds like I'm reading, I'm not making up words. I'm not going to steal those words. The Total Perspective Vortex was a machine built with the intention of showing beings the infinity of creation, which became used as a method of torture. It first appeared in the secondary phase of the radio series when Zayfud Beobobrox was subjected to the vortex and became the first person to survive it. Uh, Zayfud Beobobrox played excellently by Sam Rockwell in the 2005 movie, which I think was his audition for Vice. So here it is. It's this big machine. It's this big machine, and the guide, the Hitchhiker's Guide, says it is in theory possible to extrapolate the whole of creation, every galaxy, every sun, every planet, their orbits, their composition, their economic and social history from, say, one small piece of fairy cake. Um, What this machine does is, you you know, it's been a while since I've read this specifically, so some of it might be uh, a little different than I remember, you know. Um, you, You sit in this little device, right? And you are exposed to the vortex. And you see the entire universe out in front of you. It's all there, as the guide says there. Every sun, every planet, every orbit, uh, their composition, all of it. It's all out in front of you. And then there's a little, little arrow, little dot, a microscopic dot... Bearing the legend, you are here. And this gives you a sense of perspective and thereby destroys the victim's mind. 
It is stated that the total perspective vortex is the only known means of crushing a man's soul. Now, in the story, Zaphoid survives it because, well, he thinks the whole universe was created for him. And lately, as uh, we walk through, uh, as I walk through this world, we all walk through this world, I, 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 I've met a few people, come across some people, where sometimes I'm surprised, I think, I, I think they could survive the total perspective vortex. In some ways, I don't think you should survive it if you actually go through it, if you're actually tortured by this device. It's not a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing to survive, but it was quite a statement on the characters for people, Brock, that he would survive this torture device. I, obviously, I don't, I don't want to go into details, but uh, there was something just lately experienced where just I looked at some, some folks, and I'm like, you just, you think this orbit is, is all around you. You're the sun. You're the center. Actually, it's not even like the sun. You think it's, you know, everything's rotated around the Earth. And you are the Earth in this scenario. And it just made me think about all the importance of knowing, knowing your true place. Now, this is different than knowing your worth. We can break it down, and you can have these thoughts that go sometimes in different directions. Right? Right. I think you can. I definitely believe and definitely preach in the idea of knowing your own worth and accepting nothing less. Less that's good for in professional settings. It's good in relationships. It's good in professional and uh, friendly relationships, romantic relationships. A lot of situations. Know what you are worth. And it takes a long time to find what you're really worth. But then once you get there, keep it. Know it. Learn it. Love it. Believe in it. But that said, also know your place in all of it and know that it's not all about you i see that more and more an upcoming episode of the afternoons with josh and ken which you can find on its own podcast feed we we kind of dive into that seeing some of that lately see i i believe in getting involved or having opinions and all those kind of wonderful things but sometimes i just see people getting offended and this is old old stop ken Oh, you're going to ruin? No, no, no. This isn't. I'm not talking about uh, the millennials and snowflakes. No, 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 no. Sometimes I see the the righteous indignation uh, a lot of people, and it's like, oh, you think you think this universe is is revolving around you? It's an orbit around you. There's other people out there. There's other things that are moving. Be mindful of other people. I actually look at it from that point of view. It's it's that humble point of view. Do we all have egos? Yes. Do all the folks in entertainment at one point or another have a little bit of explosion of ego? Well, yes. There's something wrong with us. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing it. You've all heard me say that uh, quote. I'm actually paraphrasing it from Bono of U2. If you have to stand in front of 70,000 people night after night, there's a hole in your soul. There's something wrong with you. I definitely agree with that. But I like to think for myself, and I'll turn the gaze, I'll turn the spotlight on myself, that I do understand the true place in all these things. Do I have thoughts and opinions? Do I see things in the news and go, ah, I don't think that's right, or I don't agree with that? And does it fall on one side of the argument? Never does. It never does. Case-by-case case basis is how I live life. But I always, informing my opinion, and then maybe saying my opinion, there's always a level in which I go, where do I belong in this argument? Where does my 
perspective truly belong? Keep it in check. Keep it in check. Twitter is a, is a world where it is completely unchecked. And so as I was dealing with this thing in my life, a little situation that I wasn't even directly involved with, it just something I heard and it just was chewing me up. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of folks out there who I think don't know their worth. And I think that might be some of it. I say know your worth. I think once you know your worth and believe in your worth, you can understand and have total and true perspective of your place in all of it. I think if you're going through the galaxy unsure of your worth, and there might be a lot of different reasons why you are. Again, there is nuance, there is thoughts, there is layers. Sometimes issues are complicated. But sometimes I think if you're going through less, especially in the entertainment industry, and you don't know your worth, and you haven't accepted it, and you haven't found it, you counter that by really having your perspective just knocked out of whack. I don't know I don't know my worth, I don't know where I belong, so therefore, it's all about me. Therefore, all my experiences are the only ones I acknowledge. All my opinions are the only ones I acknowledge. And it's a tough time. It's a tough time, Twitter. Twitter's out there. It's like, hey, do you like that, uh, do you like that commercial? Do you like that commercial that's talking about being nice to everybody? Half the people, no. The other half, yes. And then you always have someone in the middle. Well, the commercial is uh, disingenuous anyways. They're just doing it for money. Cynic, cynicism. My perspective. My, my, mine. That makes me feel better. Total perspective vortex. Douglas Adams created the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. While hitchhiking to the UK, looks up into the clouds and envisions it all. And it's that book. I had one. I'm a huge fan of it. I haven't read it in a couple of years, but I'm a huge fan of it. Have the radio series. My good friend Jay, who you sometimes hear in the Knapsack Files, and you will hear again soon. Uh, he gave me the, a copy of the radio series a long time ago. Just the BBC show, which I really haven't seen, seen clips of. And again, the 2005 movie, Martin Freeman, Most Deaf, Zoe Deschanel, Bill Nighy. Great. I actually think it's underrated. Is it is it an A plus? No, I don't need everything to be. But it's good. Douglas Adams created this, and I had one time. This is what I was going. One, one time, someone said to me when I said, "Ah, it's one of my favorite books." And he was like, "Oh, it was mine too in seventh grade." It's an old stand-up comic friend of mine, and I just I just like eye roll for my part. There again, you don't even understand. You do. You have survived the total perspective vortex. Yeah, a lot of people do discover The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy early on. It is one of those first, like, adult reads, right? And it inspired me. That's one of the reasons I wanted to get into writing and comedy was Douglas Adams' words. And also Dirk Gently. Uh, Long, dark tea time of the soul. And just the first uh, Dirk Gently holistic uh, detective agency. (laughs) Great as well. But Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas Adams, it, it, it holds up. Because for every joke that you might laugh at a little bit harder in seventh grade than now, and there, there might be a few, um, for every joke like that, for every moment like that, it is tremendously layered. And it is a commentary. It's a commentary of the times. The radio series, again, we're talking 
late 70s, early 80s. Books become popular uh, definitely in the mid-80s. There's a, a Commodore 64 game I used to play that was one of those text-based RPG-type games, uh, which I've talked about before. I've talked about my love of Hitchhikers a lot here in the Namsock Files. In fact, uh, the description of the show is an ode to it. This is a podcast feed about life, the universe, and everything. Douglas Adams would agree. Uh, the number 42, the answer to life, universe, everything shows up a, a lot in, in my work as well. I just love it. It's one of the reasons I got here. But I think what I love about it, why it does stand up, is Douglas Adams got human nature. He got the little things. He got the foibles, and he got the airs. And he made great comments on all of it. A lot of it was on himself, the character of Arthur Dent. Uh, you can find yourself in a lot of that. A lot of things that play in it. A lot of things that play in it. But the total perspective vortex popped into my brain this weekend because of some stuff going on in my life. So ask yourself, can you survive the total perspective vortex? Maybe you shouldn't. Which leads me to my second thing on my mind. Where is, uh, three things is, it's the same format, but it's slightly different today. Just going all over the place with something here. I gotta get this screenshot up. I took it. So this was going around the internet. This isn't brand new. It's been going the last couple of days. And if it's been going the last couple of days, it's old. It's like those old friends from high school that post memes on your Facebook page that are three years old. Where have you been? All right, that's another. That's that's not on my mind. It's getting on my mind. That's not on my mind. All right, I found this picture. Screenshot. I took the screenshot, but it's this interview clip, little little snippet from an interview with Conan O'Brien. And Conan's been around now for, gosh, so long, right? Close to 30 years. I mean, if you go back to his SNL stuff, it's more than 30 years in the uh, public eye. When he was a writer in the mid-'80s, fascinating character. I've always loved Conan. Uh, I think his Tonight Show reigns a little. It's not my favorite era of his. There's, he held so true to himself that he lost the job, and he could have made some adjustments and kept the job. That's different. That's a different book. Read that book. The War for Late Night book series, the Bill Carter's books, two series, uh, two, uh, The Late Shift, and I think the, gosh, I'm trying to look at it here, I think it's The War for Late Night, uh, uh, the Letterman-Leno battle in the early 90s, and then he goes back to the Leno-O'Brien stuff, uh, great books. Anyways, I, oh, overall, I just, Conan, Conan, I love Conan, he's just my style, he's uh, Letterman too, Letterman's more a little bit my sarcastic style, but Conan's got my weird style of humor. I love some of his Simpsons episodes are the best stuff. So this interview is going around, and of course, Albert Brooks, who just lost his brother, Super Dave Osborne, Bob Einstein, uh, rest in peace, Marty Funkhauser. Um, Albert Brooks's name gets brought up in this interview, and I just want to go over the whole thing because this was on my mind, and coming out of thinking about this total perspective vortex, which I understand is a weird thing to have on my mind, but hey, this is what the show is. This is this interview going on. Where did the gosh? Where did this interview come on? I don't know. I, I, I took the screenshot, and I didn't get the uh, publication. So you guys go find it. All right, that's your. I don't want to. I want to give credit where credit is due. I'm not stealing some music copywriting uh, stuff here, because um, who would be dumb enough to do that? I I go find the interview. Go type in Conan O'Brien, Albert Brooks quote, whatever. You'll find the you'll find the source. All right, I trust you all to do that. But here's the interview. Interviewer asks Conan, who, by the way, has got his podcast now, his show. He took it down on TBS from weekly, uh, from nightly to like weekly. He's doing the Conan Without Borders things. He's doing a lot of things. But the interviewer asks, this, is this how you want to go out with a show that gets smaller and smaller until it's gone? Now, I don't know the context of that. I wasn't there. I don't know if that sounds snarky. 
but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a fair question because, again, he's gone from, you know, The Late Show, uh, Tonight Show, to TBS five days a week to once a week, to, um, now podcast form, you know. What's Conan, uh, what's he doing? What's his exit strategy? What's he doing? So Conan says, maybe that's okay. I think you have more of a problem with that than I do. Last, at this point in my career, I could go out with a grand 21-gun salute, climb into a rocket, and the entire Supreme Court walks out, and they jointly press a button. I'm shot up into the air, and there's an explosion, and it's orange, and it spells good night and God love. In this culture, two years later, it's going to be who's Conan. This is going to sound grim, but eventually all our graves go unintended. Talk about the total perspective vortex. Conan knows his worth. He proved that with his battle with NBC. Knows his worth. He was willing to stand by his worth so much that he lost his job. And in the end of the day, I, I am totally happy with him doing that as a fan. Uh, and uh, But at the same time, he knows it, man. He knows who he is. He knows where he really belongs. So the reporter, interviewer, who follows up, you're right, that does sound grim. Conan, I apologize for reading all of it. I think it's so great. Sorry, Calvin Coolidge was a pretty popular president. I've been to his grave in Vermont. It was the president has the presidential seal on it. Nobody was there. By the way, I'm the only late night host that has been to Calvin Coolidge's grave. I think that's what separates me from the other hosts. I had a great conversation with Albert Brooks once, said Conan. When I met him for the first time, I was kind of stammering. I said, you, you make movies. They live on forever. I just do these late night shows and, and they get lost. They're never seen again and who cares? And he looked at me and he said... And an Albert Brooks voice, of course, is, is what's being said. <clears throat> what are you talking about? None of it matters. None of it matters, says Conan. No, that's the secret. In 1940, people said Clark Gable is the face of the 20th century. Who fucking thinks about Clark Gable? It doesn't matter. You'll be forgotten. I'll be forgotten. We'll all be forgotten. And then Conan says in closing, it's so funny because you'd think that would depress me. But I was walking on air after that. I read that bit. Again, it was going around the internet. A lot of people were sharing it. I feel like a grandpa sharing things, talking about things days after it happened on the internet. But that got me, too. Yeah, my entertainment field, you know, I look up to people like Conan, too. But he's so right. We all want legacy. We all want something behind us. And that's not wrong. That's not wrong. But what is really the legacy? No, your true place in the galaxy. It also is very freeing. So we're not just talking about being humble. We're talking about with that behind you, with that knowledge in your head, what can you accomplish? What can you do? I love that Conan says that. Should be depressed, but no, he was walking on air. Some old friends of mine, a uh, producer named Jack Conway, who's been on the Knapsack Files, and a friend of mine, Matt Mercer, they, they used to be writing partners, and uh, they had the saying, that was like, what's the worst thing that could happen? So little weird projects would come along the way. What's the worst thing that could happen? Let's give it a go. We'll, we'll all be forgotten. Our graves will be unintended. Uh, that led to some stuff for both of them, you know? What's the worst that could happen? Matt Mercer and his uh, now wife, Marisha Ray, and their team, they, they, they have this thing, uh, Critical Role, on, on uh, what was on Geek of Sundry. It's, it's its own thing now. I, I was there. I was around that time. We were working on stuff when they were like, you know what? We're, we've been offered this chance to maybe film this idea we had of just, you know, our playing our D&D &D game and just kind of seeing what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Boom, to the moon, to the moon. So as you have the total perspective vortex run through your head, can you survive that? Are you? Are, do you want to survive that? No. You want to know your true place. You want to know your worth. 
but you want to know where you really matter. And in that, in that humbleness, but in that perspective, you also get freedom to continue to do, to continue to see uh, uh, things out in front of you that maybe you wouldn't normally think you could accomplish because you'd be worried about it. Worried about leaving a legacy. I'm nothing. I love doing this podcast. It grows and grows and grows, and I want it to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, but I don't think it will. I'm not angry enough for it to be too big. Uh, I don't tell it like it is enough. Oh, man. Did you did you hear that clip on Joe Rogan? No, I didn't. Occasionally I will. It's not all bad, but not my bag, man. I don't tell it like it is, so therefore this will always be a small podcast. But that's fine, because I don't need it to be anything else. Oh, I'd like it to be everything. I'd like this to be the number one podcast in the universe. I'd love this podcast to sit in the total perspective vortex and see that the entire universe was made for itself. It's not going to be. But what you, can you accomplish? I just went through 2018 jobless. I'm in 2019 jobless, looking for the next thing, not just job, but really looking what I want to do. I got this big project coming out. We'll see what happens with it. All right. No dollars and cents for it now. We'll see what happens because I do have to survive. I do have to eat. I don't know what will happen. But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what will happen as long as you're above ground. As long as you're above ground. I love this quote from Conan, and it's so perfect from Conan. This is why he is who he is. He shouldn't have succeeded. Conan O'Brien should not have succeeded. He was a writer, a tall, awkward guy. He wasn't even a great stand-up comic. Uh, my old, one of my old Groundlings uh, directors, she was in class with Conan O'Brien during the Groundling days in the mid-80s. In cla- not, not teaching him, in class with him, fellow student. And she was talking to me about it once because she said, and all right, this sounds like I'm uh, lost my perspective. She said, there's parts of me, parts of you that remind me of Conan. Um, and one of the weird things I used to sit when I'd come to the Groundlings Theater every Saturday during my advanced class to, to write sketches and perf- rehearse all that stuff, blah, 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 pitch sketches and everything. I'd sit in the same damn row, same chair away from kind of everyone. And I was friends with people in class, but I just I just had this spot kind of in the shadows. And she said Conan was like that, too. Conan was this quiet, awkward guy that couldn't have a conversation. And then one day he put these weird, bizarre sketches up. And then one day he was like, all right, I got to go. I, I'm writing, got a job writing for SNL. But even then, and that made sense. Oh, yes, you're a great writer. But even since when it was announced that he was going to be taking over for David Letterman on the, on the late show, what? Anyone who knew him back there was like, it's impossible. He can't, he can't do it. Yeah, he, he wrote for SNL. Yeah, he wrote for The Simpsons. But to host a talk show, to do what, not only Letterman and, and, and Leno would do, but what Carson had done, what Jack Parr had done, Mel Allen, that kind of thing. No, there's no possible way. He shouldn't have succeeded. But it didn't matter. None of it matters. All the graves will be unattended. And through that, Conan finds freedom. He finds himself. He was allowed, yeah, network television has changed. He was allowed to find his way. And even after he did and he got the dream job of dream jobs, that got taken away and that got uh, stomped under the feet of business. But he didn't lose his worth. He kept perspective. None of it mattered. And look where it is now. And yeah, his career is not necessarily winding down, but it's changing. 
It's getting smaller. He's doing what he wants. Because none of it matters. So go out and do what you want. I found that very just inspirational for me in the last couple of days as I struggled through 2018, but had a great year. And I looked at 2019, I don't know where I belong. And I might have to go get a job at Starbucks. I'll get good discounts. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm just, I'm just a poor boy. No, um, I'm just a guy talking into a microphone. I'm glad I have fans. I'm glad I connect. But I don't really matter to your life's journey. You matter. Your family matters. Your goals matter. And then none of it matters. <laughs> so go out and succeed. Ah, hell. You know what I mean. The number one thing on my mind this week. Is this a weird I feel like we all should be having a nice glass of whiskey to sip on here. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I right? Can I, can I finish? All right. Um, number one thing on my mind is this very wonderful, subtle, sneaks up on your documentary called The Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man. So this came out all the way back in March. But it's popping up now on Netflix. Uh, you can get it uh, on Prime, Amazon Prime Video. And check your local re- retail locations. Um, so, uh, this is from Tommy Avaloni. He is in the documentary. It starts off. And as you all know, I'm a big Bill Murray fan. There's those things, man. Those things, those legends, those urban legends and myths that Bill Murray, the Bill Murray, will just show up. Will just show up and kind of be at your party. Still a french fry from your plate. Have ice cream with you. One legendary story. Did the dishes at a party, at a college party. You guys go have fun. You all have fun. I'm going to do the dishes for you so you don't have to worry about it. All these kind of things. And it grew. And I don't know when it grew. Over the last five years. Now, I have a good friend you all know. A lot of you know, I should say. Matt Key. Friend and writing partner. A frequent guest, particularly in the early days when no one else would really come on my show. Um, and Matt loves Bill Murray even more than I do. And he's met him. Met him outside the Acme Comedy Theater. Took a, a, a shot. I think that was his MySpace profile picture for years running. And Matt tells the story. Uh, for a long time, Matt would have his birthday. Uh, every other year would have a Bill Murray-themed birthday party. We all had to come dressed up as Bill Murray characters. And it was great. And I have talked in other places that Bill Murray almost came to one of these parties. So I know this stuff happens, but you know, Matt had met him at Acme Comedy. He was just hanging out, watching some comedy there and everything. But I know another friend who, who you know, like an acquaintance on Facebook, who one day just posted a picture, and it was him at an ice cream truck, and Bill Murray was there. And it was and, and my, uh, this guy now, Alan, posted and was just like, I, I, I can't believe you hear this happens, but it, it happened. It happened. Bill Murray just showed up. And had ice cream. We were shooting something nearby and everything. And I thought, oh, maybe I, and as I'm reading, I'm like, nah, maybe Bill's shooting this uh, with him. And they all just said, nope, nope, it was real. Bill just showed up and was there and had ice cream with him. Uh, well, all these stories are explored by this documentary by Tom, uh, Tommy Avalone, uh, including the ice cream one. I wish he had got a chance. He didn't know. I wish he had a chance to interview Matt Key, but there's thousands of stories, right? Well, maybe not thousands. I don't know. They seem special, but. Um, 
so I sat down to watch this documentary uh, at the end of it a long day just because um, just because I'm a Bill Murray fan and I've heard of these stories. I had a friend who experienced this story. So, ah, oh, this sounds good. And it's like, it's framed as life lessons learned from a mythical man. I think, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Bill, you know, Bill's Bill. Bill's this is fascinating stuff. Um, you know, Bill can be prickly and difficult. We hear some set stories, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we don't know. We're not there. All, this kind of, all right, let me watch him. And at the end of this documentary, I tell you all, I was tears in my eyes type of uh, feelings, emotions, and in- inspired. Oddly inspired. Now, the crux of it is comes from this, like, Bill Murray. And Tom Hanks does this a lot, too. You see a lot of stuff with Tom Hanks. And I, and I actually knew, knew, some, uh, knew, knew someone that met Michael Keaton randomly at a bar and was just like, my, it was the funniest, greatest guy in the world. Just hung out, told jokes. It was one of us. And that's part of the lessons. And I want you guys, if you haven't seen it, to really watch it and maybe learn the lesson, especially, especially if you're a Bill Murray fan. Um, but there's this, uh, this, this concept of, you know, Bill knows he's Bill. Again, Bill knows his worth, in, in keeping with what we're talking about this episode, Bill knows his worth, but he has a perspective of what it is and knows that none of this matters. Bill Murray is Bill effin' Murray, right? He is the guy on T-shirts, the guy in movies, the guy with his legacy very much in place. But what is that? It doesn't matter. And he knows who he is, so if you know him, or you know who he is and he sees you, you know, he has an opportunity maybe to give a little bit of himself and create a memory for you that's going to last a lifetime and inspire you. And he does it with just, does it with complete and total commitment to it. And it isn't just a convention. It isn't just a picture and an autograph. It's something real. It's something concrete it's something that you can feel it is a truly a way of life and the documentary goes from the the director the writer tommy avaloni i gotta learn to say that right huh um it goes from him seek try hey i gotta i gotta get to bill i'm gonna make this documentary i have the the infamous uh, urban legend like 800 number which which is real i know some people with it let me try to call him let me leave a message let me try and, and it starts from that and it's about, Tommy, maybe, how do I get my own story? And he learns a lesson through that process. He learns that lesson through that journey. And all these stories of Bill Murray interacting with people. And there's video footage of some of the famous dishwashing washing party. He's there. The ice cream cone one that my friend uh, 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 was involved with, that's there. Um, wedding engagement photos. Play, uh, minor league baseball games. Uh, parties in Austin, Texas, like house concerts. Bill Murray's there being a roadie, playing tambourine. It is, it just keeps going and going and going. And it builds and builds and builds until you start finding the zen of Bill Murray. And this thirst for life, but in a, in a, in a different way that I can't even say. My words don't even capture it. It isn't this... Uh, take on all comers, we're exploding out there. It's not like The Rock, which The Rock is inspiring in his own way, but it's overwhelming, right? It's daunting. Sleep for four hours, get up, work out for three, shoot two movies, a TV show, raise a kid, 
wrestle a match, go to bed, uh, not before working out and doing it all again, right? It, it, it's daunting. It's overwhelming. I, I, Rock is inspiring. I think The Rock, Dwayne Johnson's a great guy. I've never personally, personally met him. I know people that have. I know people that have worked with him. I know people have been in a ring with him. Uh, he seems to be everything, right? Uh, in this day and age, sometimes you, you hate to fully get behind someone because you don't know what skeleton's going to pop up. But hey, you know, everything about it seems to be legit and true. And I love, I love those videos when The Rock surprises someone on his work crew or his mother with a brand new car and everything. I don't think it's gloating. I don't think it's anything. I think it's inspiring in its own way because this is a man who came from nothing, who has, has every bit of his worth in his mind, but knows where it all truly belongs and know, knows the perspective and, and, and knows um, that it all doesn't matter, but you can use who you are to create these moments. So th- The Rock is different. You could do a documentary on The Rock. But Bill Murray's is similar, but, it, but it's, it's really different because it's smaller and it's subtle. And it's about seizing the moment, being present in the moment. And this isn't, hey, this isn't a put your phones away conversation. Look, if Bill Murray walks by, I'm going to take a picture. The closest I got to Bill Murray, other than that birthday party he almost showed up on, the person who called him, uh, wasn't even the 800 number, it was was another number, got a hold of him, uh, said, here's his birthday party. This guy, Matt Key, is having this party. And Bill said, I would love to come. I'm currently in London. I can't get to Pasadena. That's, that's closest, but also I was at uh, Comic-Con 2015, 2016. I don't know when that movie Rock the Casbah was coming out, and that was in the documentary as well. And he showed up in character, and what I didn't know and what the documentary explains is they didn't know if he was going to show up. They didn't know, and he did. He showed up in character, did his thing, and he, and he walked out. And me and Roxy Stryer were sitting there at the, in Hall H together, and Bill Murray passed probably four feet of me, and I tried to get his picture as best I could of just him passing by. I, I don't think I did. It was a blur. It's close as I've been to Bill Murray. Um, but it isn't about this big thing. It's about this small thing. It's about being present. It's about, it's about joy. It's about creating moments and memories and connecting with those around you who, who can't give you anything. Maybe sometimes only you can give them something, or maybe it's mutual. Maybe both you and them can't give anyone anything, but you can create a moment. You can create a memory. Does it always work? No. I'm sure at some point, Bill's got to go. At <laughs> some point, he might have to hit the loo. In fact, the documentary, I won't give it all away, but there's a, towards the end, of the minor league, he owns a minor league team. He's, he's owned a few over the years, big baseball guy. Another reason I love Bill. You get the sense that Bill is heading home. He's had his fun. He's done his birthday thing, done his baseball thing, excuse me. Um, but he's got to head home. You know, you get that sense. He's got his private time. But it seems that in the moment, in these small moments along the ways, in these stories, these urban legends, it's not just Bill winking and nodding and being like, I'm Bill Murray. And, and he, a lot of times he, you know, he says, like, no one's ever going to believe you. He's, again, very aware of who he is and what he means, but he knows it doesn't really matter. So he's going to give you these moments. It's that kind of thing. It isn't this ego, I look on Bill Murray. It's like, what a fun little crazy moment. What a fun little thing we can connect over this. It's living in the now, something I struggle with all the time. Oh, my God, do I struggle with it. And we all have the worry. We all have the fret. But it doesn't matter. Know your place. Know your worth, but know your true place in the whole grand scheme of things so that your ego does not get out in front of you too far. Know that your grave will one day be unattended, so don't use that as a depression Don't use it as a depression-inducing obstacle. Use that as something to free you, to go live the life. 
Not that just that you want, but live the life that you can live. I remember one time, a little stretch of my life. I regret this. I regret this. I really do. I would be coming home from work when I was the security director at the farmer's market in Hollywood next to the Grove. Oh, the famous Grove. I'd come home the same way, you know, five days a week, sometimes six or more. And roughly around the same time every day, there was there was like a homeless man living in the in a park nearby. I mean, I'd see him every freaking day. Every freaking day. And I thought to myself, you know, look, I don't, there's safety concerns sometimes. In fact, at that job, the farmer's market, I, I dealt with some pretty tough and, and violent situations with homeless individuals, those suffering from mental health. And sometimes you get, I'm supportive of those, those issues, but sometimes you have to be careful in that situation, right? So I don't necessarily recommend this to everyone, but I kept, I'd always look out my car as I was stopped. And I'd be about five, by this point, I'd be about five minutes from home. And I would look over at this guy sitting there. And it was one of those homeless guys, you know, I think you all know what I mean, where he was disheveled, the beard was growing, he was down and out, but you could tell it was recent or he had been to a shelter recently. You know, this was in process. This was, this was, maybe he had a place to go at one point. And I just remember thinking one day, I should stop and get a meal, get one for myself, get one for him. Fast food joint layer nearby, restaurant nearby, didn't matter. Just get a meal, just go sit down next to him. Offer him the meal, see what can happen. Live in the moment, live in the now, see what I can do. Could I do much more beyond that? I don't know. I don't know, all right? That that leads to other conversations. What what can you really do? What sticks? What do they want? What are that? Mental health, ah, blah, 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 all of it, all of it. Big, important, nuanced conversations. But in that moment, I'd always look over. I think I should do that. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Nah, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. It's the weekend. I'll do it Monday. Go back to work. Ah, I'll do it tomorrow. I kept saying that until I just didn't see him anymore. Kept, kept saying that till I just didn't have that job anymore. Kept saying that until I moved. I don't know what that would have done. I'm not saying that it's like the rock I'm going to show up with. Hello, homeless guy. Here's an Escalade. No. I just remember thinking in my head, like, what can I do? What could I do if I really wanted to live a life that I actually felt I wanted? Those little thoughts. How can I help? How can I be better? How can you choose to be better? How can I bring joy on even the simplest level? I try to be as nice as I can. I go to the grocery store. You're ringing me up. I don't want to have a full-on conversation. I don't, I don't want to sit there and know your life story and give you my life story. But I don't just go, hey, how you doing? I'm like, hey, how are you? Directly and engaging. How are you? Most of the time, 99% of the time, it's going to be great. Is sometimes that a lie? Absolutely. Am I okay with that? Yes. Again, we don't need to have a therapy session while you're ringing up the groceries. But my mind for that exchange, that five minutes, that three minutes that you're ringing up on those nights when I just go get an ice cream, uh, on those nights, man, I say, hey, how are you doing? And you go, oh, I'm doing good. We can forget what we got going on. We can just interact as people. I'm pretty shy, but that's part of the problem. Why am I shy? Where does shyness come from? 
think it comes from, well, not being secure, struggling with your worth, struggling with your place. What can I do? I don't want people to attack. Don't look at me. I got nothing of value. I got nothing to say. I'm shy. I don't want this. I don't know how to do it. Imagine what you could do if nothing mattered, right? Imagine what you could do if you knew you had the power in this moment to create something, a connection, a moment, a memory, and provide a little bit of hope and a little bit of inspiration. Yeah, I got all of that out of this documentary. The Bill Murray Story's Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man. So, Tommy Avaloni, I think he's local. I think I'd love to try to get get his attention and get him on the show. But uh, even if I don't, it doesn't matter. I was moved by it, and I highly recommend it. Check it out. It's a quick watch. Get comfy. Pour a whiskey. Watch it and find out what you can learn from Bill Murray and life, the universe, and everything. All right. I'm out of here. I'm out of here, kids. I'm going to go. I got a couple days left to work on some big project that I can't. Some of you know, some of my Patreon supporters kind of know what I've been working on. Some of you have actually found it. I'm not going to tell you where if you don't know. Uh, I'm not ready to officially announce it yet, but it is something I've been working on really hard. Something that might work. It might work. It might not, but it doesn't really matter. Thank you to my Patreon supporters over on patreon.com slash the Knapsack Files. And thank you to my high-tier producer supporters like Jason Humphreys, Pags, Kai Thatch, Kyle Gerbrin, Zach Anderson, who came out and he had a fun weekend at the Schmodown Awards. He even rode the bull at Saddle Ranch. I was there. I saw it. He lived in the moment. Good job, Zach. Jonas Bergman, Corey Morissette, Graham Bell, Kyle Harlow. Designs great t-shirts you can find on Public for me. Uh, my pal Ty Schallenberger. Oh, Ty, I didn't answer your text. I got it. Michelle Cox, who's also my cousin. Give her a follow at Vegas 3D Kids. Uh, she's the one who making the, makes those knapsack files keychains that are starting to spread out into the world. Andrew Hale, my pro- executive producers are David Ham, Thomas Risling, Lethal Logan X, Matthew Simon, Bedore, Legends Con, that's Jacob at Legends Cons. Matthew Maroney, Matthew Thompson, uh, Tamor, his brother Abdul. We got the boxing gloves, boys. We got the boxing gloves. Uh, Nikki Baldwin and Donald Long. That is that. If you want to reach out and follow me on Twitter and let me know what you think about all this crazy stuff, you can use the hashtag the Napsack Files and follow me at Ken Napsack. That's on Instagram, YouTube, the Motivations with Ken Podcast, Castly Talk coming. Ah, gee, I got a lot of stuff I know. I know. I got a lot of stuff, but I appreciate you following me for what you do. If you want to send me something, you can do that. The address is on the website, website knapsackfiles.podomatic.net, or you can send stuff to me at the Knapsack Files 3727 West Magnolia Boulevard, 728 Burbank, California, 91505. Address it to me, not Johnny Carson. That is it. Go inspire someone. Go find your place, but keep your true perspective in mind and create a memory and create some joy for someone in your life, near your life, or not even in your life at all. We'll see you next week on the Napsack Files.